Hello and welcome to the Be Unapologetically You radio podcast. My name is Kelsey Davidson and I am your host. On this podcast, we talk about all things personal development, health and wellness, and of course, fitness. And how you can do all of those things, create a lifestyle that works for you and nobody else. Because nobody else was made like you. So why would you do it the same way as somebody else? Well, unless it works. So thank you for joining us today and let's get started into the episode. Hello and welcome back to Be Unapologetically You Radio. I wanted to pop on here and give you a little intro to this podcast. In this episode, we go really, really deep in a lot of things that we see in physical therapy and personal training. Now, if you don't work in this field, please don't fret because you're going to be able to take several things from this podcast and how to navigate the issues you may come across or some things to be on the lookout for because the whole purpose of what Jen does and what I do in this industry is to make things better for you. And we want you to have some understanding and we also want you to know our experiences that we've experienced along the way. So if it feels like it goes a little over your head, don't stress. Just keep tuning in and I know you will understand what we're getting at. So enjoy this podcast with Dr. Jen Hustler. It's going to be so freaking dope. I was re-listening to it for you guys while I was recording this, and it's just amazing. So I'm so excited for you to enjoy this episode, and let's dive in. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Be Unapologetically You Radio. I am so stoked for our conversation today. I'm excited to be here, so thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself as much as you want or as little as you want? Yeah, for sure. So um, I am a physical therapist, um, technically, but I'm also a strength coach. I do a little bit of everything. I like to think of myself as somebody who has like one foot in the door of fitness and one foot in the door of rehab, and I like to kind of bridge the gap between those. Um, cause I felt like I saw a lot of rehab and like physical therapy and what people typically think is physical therapy as, um, either post-surgical or maybe you're just dealing with pain and you go and get like a list of random exercises, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of, let's not just get you out of pain. Let's make sure like you can do all the things you love without little nagging things. Cause I feel like a lot of therapy does not touch on like the nagging stuff because I don't think that therapists are equipped for that. I just don't think they have the time or um, expertise. And so that is where my training kind of lies. And that's when I dove into a lot of mobility, which is kind of my specialty. Um, I talk a lot about mobility and joint health. So those are my, I guess that's kind of like what I do mostly. (laughs) Basically a little bit of everything, essentially. I love strength training and mobility training. We kind of put it all together. And I think that when you really combine those two, I think they really help one helps the other. I think sometimes people isolate those two and it's like, no, when you focus on those things, it helps those weaknesses become strengths because they're no longer the missing link in the chain. Yeah. And I think what I kept seeing in essentially a lot of what I do is like where I saw gaps. I was like, I couldn't find what I needed. So I just like learned and then became what I had originally needed. Like in, I had a couple injuries when I was younger and I didn't have adequate rehab. So the first one was like an ACL tear and I had rehab and then just kind of like sent me back to therapy or not therapy, but gymnastics before I was really ready. And they just told me to like, get back into it slowly. I had like at least an inch or two deficit of muscle mass on my like rehab leg. 
And I still am working to get that back because I didn't really know that it was a problem until probably like, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago now, but I never really worked on it until recently. Um, but I went back too soon and was not, I didn't have any of the things addressed that probably needed to be. So that like whole, okay, well, therapy rehab is kind of done, but like, how do I get back into my sport or my activity? I didn't have anybody to do that. And then I had a second surgery three years later because I hurt my knee, same knee, similar mechanism of injury, just a meniscus later on. And I had a surgery that I probably didn't need, but that was like, they didn't send me to therapy. They didn't know what else to do with me. So I was really now looking back, like frustrated that I had a lot of knee pain after that. I kept having knee pain. I kept going back to the ortho. He was just like, oh, you just wear this brace. So like they told me my knee was just damaged and just put a brace on and be careful loading it because I'll probably need a knee replacement by the time I'm 30, et cetera, et cetera. Very terrible advice. So I feared that knee and had lots of pain and it didn't load it. Every time something happened, I would be like so afraid. I'm like, my knee's falling apart. And then I got into PT school and learned a lot about pain science and basically how pain is and hurts and how fear is actually more correlated with pain than any damage in our body and how our body can adapt really well. Since learning that stuff, I've loaded the crap out of my knee and it's never felt better, but I had to go through this whole whatever of like learning about pain and how our body is pretty adaptable. And ever since then, I was like, all right, I need to like help change the scene of rehab and like educating people. And essentially when my knee was hurting, I like couldn't work out and it was like, it sucked. And so I was like, one, we need to be active and all of that to be healthy. But like, if your knee hurts or you have a joint issue that keeps you from being able to work out, then that's really not good. So I was like, we need to work out. Yes, we need to lift, we need to exercise, but we also need to kind of pay attention to our joints. And so that's like why I kind of live in both worlds and bring them together. And that is so cool because I had the opposite experience. I was blessed when I had my ACL full reconstruction done, I had a bone graft put in, and then I had a, a just repair on the other side. And I had a great therapist that was like, my second or third day after surgery, my butt's doing leg extensions and working through that range of motion. And, you know, when, when you had this like negative connotation of like, okay, I guess I'm not doing anything. And then, you know, second or third day of rehab, my butt's in the ice tank and the water buckets. And then I'm having to do leg extensions and step ups. Now, of course it starts at like an inch y'all yeah, <laughs> and then you work not- up from there. <laughs> so yeah. it's so interesting to see how different the experiences can be. Um, and you briefly well, touched on, go I ahead. Can say, like, stop, sorry to interrupt you, but I had a good experience with my therapist. Like I loved my therapist and that's why I actually became a physical therapist. So I don't want to throw him under the bus because he was awesome. And like, I thought it was so cool that right after surgery, like all the things you said, the thing that frustrated me was that I don't even know if this was an insurance thing or if this was just, uh, it was like beyond what he could help me with, but he discharged me before I was ready. Like I didn't go into like really good strength training to get me ready for what I needed. So I had a good therapy, like I had a good therapist too. It was just, he fell short of what I needed. And so I don't, that's not entirely necessarily his fault. It just um, is the way it goes. So I didn't always have terrible therapy. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. My, I was discharged before I was cleared completely as well. Um, The one thing I've always was appreciative of him is he told me what to do to be able to return to sport. Yeah. So he was, he was smart enough and like aware enough to see that I was going to do it anyway. 
mm-hmm. and was able to communicate that with me because mine was an insurance thing. Yeah. I couldn't get any more without having to pay the full cost of everything. Um, and that was just a financial burden my family couldn't handle at that point. Um, Which is so common because insurance is just a pain in the butt. I don't take insurance in my clinic, but um, it's just so frustrating. I hate that insurance dictates care, which is why I like don't want to play the insurance game. Like I don't even want to fill it. So I help patients sometimes get like maybe out of network reimbursement every once in a while, but I had to go out of insurance because the care just gets to be so less quality. But you're right. The education piece is really important. I didn't get that when I was discharged. So, or that I remember I was 14. So also that might play a factor, you know, but yeah, the education piece is so, so important because you can do a lot of that on your own as long as you know what to do. Absolutely. And that was kind of what spurred me to go into my path was my injuries. And so I'm a strength coach as well by training. And one of my specialties is to work with physical therapists after somebody has been discharged and get the plan and help that person implement it so they can return to sport. Um, when I was doing my internship, I did a lot of athletic work with athletic trainers. Mm-hmm. And so when they, when they could work with them, we would communicate. So I always made sure that our, our student or athlete was always ready to return to sport at the best shape they could. So that way we wouldn't re-injure, which I think that's the most common thing. That, well, I don't think it, well, it should be the most common thing. And I think that's like the best case scenario, like right there. When I was originally starting, I had like really big hopes and dreams. I don't know where my hopes and dreams are now because everything has shifted, but I had a really big dream that I would like have this big physical therapy clinic. That's really not a big clinic. It's actually a big gym and we have therapists or clinicians and trainers or fitness people who could speak the same language. And I do a lot of both. So a lot of my patients currently or clients, they are doing a little bit of rehab, a little bit of training. And I have clients that I train, but we incorporate a little mobility with them only because it is so hard to try to find fitness people in my area that communicate well, a therapist. And I've had patients come to me and I'm like, let me talk to your trainer so that I can give them some information. Like, I don't even want to have to train people as much. I actually kind of love that part a little bit, but like my expertise in, in all of that is really lying in like the intricate details and the like little movements and just little things. And like, I would rather have a communication or like a a conversation with the the fitness person um, and be like, Hey, here's what I'm finding here is what I'd recommend. Just like a couple of things, work this into your programming or just like avoid these things. And most of the time, the trainers were like, well, one, my patients would be like, oh, I don't want to tell my trainer I'm coming to see you. Like that has happened more than once. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh yeah, they say things about physical therapists. Like, oh yeah, therapists never let your knees go over your toes and all this stuff and physical therapy, blah, blah, blah. And so like, they'll like, I don't know if it's like shaming or what about therapy. And honestly, I kind of do this too on my social media when there is crappy information from therapists, but that doesn't mean you disregard an entire profession. And so there have been trainers who refuse to come chat with me. And that is so frustrating because you're, I I think it's like an ego thing. And then it's frustrating because I'm like, the person who's losing out is the client and the patient, not you, not me. Like, I don't want to have to take, if they have a good trainer that they have a good relationship with, I'm not trying to take them over and train them. Um, So ironically, that has happened more often than not. And so like my original, like, goal was to have a place where the therapist or the clinician could communicate with the trainers. And I still think that could be possible, but 
I don't know. So that's awesome that you got to do that because I know it exists. It's just not as frequent enough as I wish it was. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I just always communicated with my clients, okay, you just have to tell me you're going. I'm not going to tell you not to go because they have an expertise beyond me and I cannot be your physical therapist. Mm -hmm. I am your strength and conditioning coach. I am not your physical therapist. These lovely human beings like yourself go to school for years and years and years and have an expertise that I do not have. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a different expertise than they have too. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, because you're one of those wonderful humans that has a strength background. And sometimes the strength coach can teach the PT just as much as the PT can teach the the trainer or the coach. We all have an expertise in that. And that's, I agree. I think it's more ego, but the client loses, man. And then if you're the client, you can facilitate that conversation. I had a client, she had a, had a severe break in her arm, um, due to a bone density issue. And as soon as I could, this was pre COVID let's lead with that conversation. (laughs) I went with her to the physical therapist so I could talk to him and his assistant know what I needed to do to help her because eventually she was on Medicare. So her, her, sessions were about to end. I'm like, okay, I need to know what, what we're doing here. What I need to look out for. What do I need to send you back to them for? Because there's a line and I need to know where that line lives. Yes. I mean, and there's, it's more gray too. Like there's some things that we overlap and actually that's why I love it. And I have learned a lot. And I wouldn't say more, although it's kind of close. Um, I've learned almost just as much from coaches and like strength coaches that have impacted my training and the way that I work with patients than I did in PT school. Like I learned a lot of science. So I will not like, I learned so much science. There's so much knowledge that I've learned to get my doctorate in physical therapy. But when it comes to like working with humans and coaching and some of the nuances and programming, that is all from my exercise science and my coaching background and learning from other coaches. Like that is something that I feel like we lack a lot in physical therapy. And when you're working with a human, you need that type of stuff. So there's like a lot of overlap, but at the same time, there's a lot that everybody can learn from each other. And if you, I mean, you're losing out too, if you like, can't have a conversation with somebody and realize what your expertise is and what it isn't. And I've seen trainers who think they're rehab experts. And I've seen trainers who do manual therapy on their clients, which if depending on what state you are, that's not even legal to touch your client. (laughs) And, um, that's a whole different note, but like, I've also seen clinicians who think they're personal trainers and I have the background. So like, I actually downplayed this for a long time because I felt like, I don't know, it just didn't feel authentic to me. But then I was like, no, I have that background. Like I love training people. I still do train people. So, um, but I didn't like it because I would see a lot of clinicians pretend to be fitness people. And just because we work with exercise a lot, we do not get in most schooling, unfortunately, enough of exercise science to really understand bachelor's degree that. And I learned about it in my bachelor's degree than I did in my physical therapy school, which actually was really frustrating for me. But because of that, I get frustrated when I see clinicians try to be trainers. I'm just like, it works really well if we can just create a network of people who are really good at what they do. So we can refer out and we can all just get better. And then the client can get the best care in, in all the directions. So, uh, yeah, those are the things that I get frustrated about a lot, but I know they exist. So I'm really glad that you are facilitating that experience or have at least. Absolutely. What would be some questions you would have, or you would suggest to 
uh, someone, if they're like, okay, I want to have this conversation with my physical therapist, how could I approach this? Um, Cause I have an open-minded PT, uh, not PT, excuse me, open-minded certified personal trainer or strength coach. They're yeah. different. Sorry. <laughs> I'm still working on this. Like, what would you tell them to like, to consider and how to facilitate that conversation? Um, so that's gonna, it's hard because some of that is going to depend on the therapist. Right. So I, I, I don't love my entire profession and I have a lot of things about it that frustrate me. So I can understand if fitness people are like, or coaches or personal trainers are like, well, every therapist that I know tells people they shouldn't squat because it's bad for their knees and tells all these bad things. So I think the first thing is just to find somebody who you kind of vibe with. That's not always easy, but it's still doable. And maybe you won't find somebody, um, really close to you. Maybe they're a little further away, but like, I think it's really good to have that network first and foremost, just to have a relationship and to be like, Hey, I work with people. People get injured a lot. I would love for them to get assessed by you, or I would love to send people to you for their rehab needs. And I would love to have a communication, like good communication with you so that you can update me on their programming. Tell me what things you would recommend and let me know so I can implement these things. Um, and if you, come with that and the therapist like I don't know if anybody came to me like that I would probably cry because I'd be so excited but like it's literally as simple as just being one extremely honest I don't think people communicate honestly very well but like being extremely honest and then making sure that it's everything is about the client so everything's about the client you have something to learn from the therapist therapist also has something to learn from you everybody can collaborate and I think that really gets the communication open and kind of ready to go. Now, there could be the problem where maybe they say something that you don't agree with and maybe you could question them instead of saying you don't agree with it. So that would be something that I can also recommend because I know that happens a lot. And I know that's why the what the client story that I gave earlier, the example, that's why that person didn't want her to come see a therapist because there's a lot of conflicting information that this client has experienced from therapists. So if that happens, instead of saying, well, screw therapists, like da, 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 I'm just not going to refer people to them. I would say maybe take it upon yourself to question them and ask questions because maybe they just need to um, explain themselves or maybe they would be open to hearing things you have to say, but only if you ask them for their reasoning first without assuming, don't assume things first, first and foremost. So that kind of a long answer to your question, but. Those are my biggest recommendations. Absolutely. And my people that have been in therapy or know that at some point, because you have a body, you're going to probably get injured. It's just part of the process. Remember that you can start this, initiate it. You don't have to initiate it with your, like your PT has to initiate it for you or your personal trainer or your strength coach or whatever. You can initiate this conversation too. You're, you're in charge of your care. The person who's going to look out the most for you is going to be you. So if you mm -hmm. always remember that, um, you can find an answer and it may take two or three people. Do not get upset if it's the first one you try and it goes south. Keep trying mm -hmm. other people. There are, there's a reason why we all have different expertises and professions. So don't be upset if it takes a couple people to find the right person. Absolutely. I think that part right there is so important because I'll see people and they'll come to me and be like, I tried everything. And I'm like, you tried everything? And they're like, yeah, I tried, I tried therapy. And I'm just like, how many? therapist you didn't you don't try therapy you try different physical therapists because most therapists in a, an insurance world 
not most, well, yeah, most unfortunately have a list of exercises and have to be really efficient because they see two or three clients at a time. That doesn't mean you won't get better. It just means maybe your care won't be as tailored as individual, as up to date as it could be. But you also have to know that's kind of insurance care. And I think it's terrible, but what I think doesn't matter because of the way it is, we're working with what it is. And so if you have a an experience that you don't like, I literally will kind of equate it to if you go get a haircut that sucks, you don't say haircuts are not for me. Like I'm done with haircuts. We're done. Like, no, you just keep searching for somebody that vibes with you. Or if you go to a haircut and the person is just like not vibing with you, you don't feel like you can tell them something. Um, I've had a hairstylist that was like way too much. And I was just like, you are draining. Like he was so nice, but I was just like, I can't deal with this right now. Like I needed to be chill. So I found another hairstylist and it was fine. Like that dude was just not for me, probably fine for other people. Same with therapy. If you just have one experience, like don't give up and also know that like your health is your responsibility. And sometimes you just ha will have to speak up and keep searching. And a lot of times if you're not getting better or you are like, I've tried a lot of therapy, you might have to go out of network. And I know that's pricey. I know because like I do that, but a lot of times because you will get the care that's like one-on-one, -on -one. you end up not needing to see the therapist as long. It actually ends up being cheaper because you already have co-pays and I don't see my patients two or three times a week for like six, eight weeks. That is the gold standard in quotes um, for like most clinicians. But like I see my patients depending on what their needs are unless they're post-surgical, but I don't usually see them because I tell them to go use their insurance for that because that therapy looks a lot the same. I tell people to come see me when they need fine tuning nuanced care and we go through their assessment and they're getting all the knowledge of everything I'm doing with them. They get a program and then I don't see them for a week or I don't see them for a while. And we drop down and I'll see my clients like, or my patients like one time a month and I'm just updating their program and I'm giving them a lot of education, a lot of coaching when they're coming to see me. So a lot of times if their goal is just to get out of pain and kind of learn what they need to kind of take care of their problem, I won't see them more than three or four visits. And that actually is affordable for people. It's a chunk of money up front, don't get me wrong, but you learn things and you learn the tools to take care of your body, not just like to get out of pain, but like beyond. That's like how I treat. So sometimes you have to go outside of your insurance and it sucks. I'm mad about it. We can be angry about it and go through all of the stages of grief because I've been there, but like then accepting it and realizing, okay, my health's in my hands. And if you can make it happen, most of the time it will be better for you and you will get better care and better faster um, than if you were to go to a tradition, traditional clinic. So I'll just like throw that out there. Like I hate that that is the way things are now, but it is, and this is what we're dealing with. And this is sometimes the best way to get what you need. Absolutely. I think we have to remember that sometimes the things that are currently unconventional sometimes become the gold standard later on. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you're open, that's the biggest thing. I, I think you, I hope you guys understood what she just said. If you're just open to the possibility and something that's a little bit currently unorthodox, you might be surprised with the results. So always be open. And then there's people like me and Jen on the interweb message us. We can answer questions. And if we can't, we probably know somebody who can, that's the biggest thing is just ask the questions y'all. Um, but that is so important. How did your athletic upbringing impact how you you work today and how you train um because for somebody who, who doesn't know that you grew up very active how did how did that play a role in what you do today 
That's a good question. Well, I think I shared the first thing, which was like the injury that I had, but I, I was in and out of sports. Like I played soccer for like nine years. I did gymnastics. I played softball. Like I did, I was a multi-sport athlete. I was never really amazing at any one of them because I never stuck with them long enough to be that good. But like, I was decent. I was okay at most of them. Um, but once I, I hurt myself, well, backtracking a little bit. And when I was 14, right before I tore my ACL, um, maybe it was at 12 or 13. It doesn't matter. I got diagnosed with scoliosis. So they like did the screening in school and they're like, you need to go to the doctor. They did x-rays. They're like, yep, you have a crooked spine. And they just like continue to x-ray me like a couple times a year and just kind of told me to be careful with my spine, you know, gave me some calcium recommendations, stuff like that. So I actually started developing back pain and I have no idea if this is because they told me to be careful with my spine and kept fear mongering me that my spine is damaged and showed me my x-rays and they're scary when they have all these things on there and I don't know what I'm looking at and it's crooked and they're telling me these are, this is wrong. This is bad. I didn't have pain when they first found this. And then I developed pain in high school and a lot of what they did was just watch me get worse. And I got a back brace, ACL back brace every night for a year. And it didn't really do much. I think it actually probably, I don't know, made me weaker. Didn't let me expand and breathe. It was so tight and rigid. It was awful. I hated it. Um, and so as they watched that get worse, I had my ACL tear, went through the rehab. And then when I got to be 19 years old, I was having so much back pain. I like would do my chores or something for the day. And I would be like in bed for like two days, like doing the bare minimum that I could because I was so stiff and painful. And I tried, like, I went to chiropractors. I went to a scoliosis boot camp thing to try to fix it. I never felt like completely out of pain and I never fixed it, continued to get worse. And at 19, they were like, you need to have your spine fused. Like, we're going to go in and fuse your spine. We're going to put rods in there. This is what I recommend that you hit a certain degree on your curvature. So that's what you do. And at the time, my husband was my, my boyfriend and he was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I, my mom was very adamant that this is the, what the doctors are saying, this is what you need to do. And I was like, I don't know, like, let me research. So I was like looking up research articles at 19, like not really sure what I was reading, but everything I read was like outcomes, like years down the road were not good. And so I was thinking like, if I'm 19 and I have the surgery, by the time I'm like 30 or 40, I'll need another surgery. And these surgeries are not like simple. You're cutting through all of these back, like you're cutting through your back muscles. It was crazy. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to have the surgery, not until I've tried everything. And until I cannot tolerate this back pain anymore, or until it affects my like breathing or something. Um, so I was dealing with that and my knee stuff. And so at like 19 was when I had quit or when we graduated from high school and I stopped doing all my sports and I went into undergrad and I was like, well, now what do I do for exercise to keep myself healthy? And how do I do that and deal with the fact that I have a knee problem that I can't load and a back problem that they also say, don't run, don't lift weights, especially overhead. It's terrible for your spine. It's so crooked. So I am sitting here like thinking my body is just like broken and damaged and I, I'm done at 20 years old. Like what is going to happen as I get older? Cause everybody's also telling me like nothing gets better when you get older, it all gets worse. So I was like, I was feeling really disheartened and trying to figure out what I needed to do. And so I was like, I need to just exercise and stay moving. 
So at that point I was trying a lot of Pinterest workouts and like uh, all kinds of stuff like Pinterest. I think I tried like a couple of DVDs. I tried P90X. I was never consistent. And then I started studying exercise science in undergrad and started learning about it and started applying what I was doing to, or what I was learning to what I was doing. And I think I tried CrossFit for like a year. And I, that was like the first time I started to feel better in my back and my knee, which is so ironic because it's the opposite. It's like the exact same things they were telling me not to do. And I also then ended up getting injured from CrossFit and all of that. And was like, this is probably not the best thing for me, but at the time it taught me that, oh no, you can lift weights and do hard things with your body and your body can adapt. And that was like my biggest, oh, okay, so we can, we can do things that aren't that bad. So then I started playing around with lifting weights and that was when I really got into strength training and realized, okay, this is probably the thing that's going to help me. And I still had a little bit of back pain here and there um, and a little bit of knee pain. My knee would swell up randomly um, and things like that, but like not to the debilitating way that it was. And so that impacted me to really love strength training. And I am so adamant about helping people who especially think their bodies are fragile or who don't like working out or don't know how to like women particularly that is like one of the things that I first like loved. And so that's a big reason why I'm so adamant about the things I do. And then I, because I was still having like a little bit of nagging issues, I kept wanting to learn. And as I went into PT school, I learned a lot more about, okay, pain has more to do with your fear and your load tolerance than it does to anything that is like actually damaged in your body. So once I started learning that, and then I learned and dove really deep into mobility and how joints work um, and took the FRC course specifically, uh, that filled in the gaps that I was missing. And that has not completely fixed my back and my knee and everything. Like I still have a little bit, but like, I feel like 90% better compared to where, where I was. And my knee and back are just going to be one of those like slow, long processes, but like they can do so many things. And now I can lift weights and really don't have any issues. And I know how to modify things for myself. So that is a very long answer, but that is my story. And that's like why I've gotten so adamant about like joint health, mobility, and condition. They all kind of come together really well. And especially for people who've been told things like I was when I was younger, that's like, yeah, that's a big reason why I do what I do. <laughs> back here in my head going amen 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 yeah. tell it to those in the back y'all so I like uh, it's just it's because a lot of time these these we have this so much fear and I, I hear that and I can you can you dive a little deeper in the fear and pain and how those inner tie mm -hmm. because I feel like we're truly now starting to truly understand how those work together and how would you let's talk about that relationship but then can you tell the, the member on the other side of the microphone, like, like maybe a thought process they can go through to kind of approach that situation? Because sometimes I don't think we realize that we're doing that to our people. Um, and this is just me as a coach saying this, that sometimes we don't catch that until after a while and we go, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But like, how would you articulate that to, to them? Yeah. So that's something that I've learned as a clinician. So I've been a PT now for three-ish years, I think. Am I saying that right? Three years? I think so. Yeah. So um, I've noticed the weight of the words that I say. So like, I'll say something and like, I think it's like, I won't even think about it ever again. 
And then my client or patient will bring it up like the next week or weeks later that they've been like, they held on to that thing. When you are like a coach, but especially when you're a clinician, um, if you're somebody that people trust, they will really take your words and they will listen to everything you say. And that is an amazing thing, but it gives you a lot of power for your words and you have to be very cautious about the things you say. And I'm constantly like adjusting and trying to figure out ways to describe things. But sometimes I say things like that too. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let's, let's not like reduce it and make you feel fragile. So a lot of what I try to explain to people in when it comes to pain is that it's more like the way that pain works is more like an alarm system. Um, you have like a smoke detector in your house and that smoke detector sometimes goes off when your batteries are not working or there's a little smoke, but there is no fire. There's just like you cooked something and there's more smoke. Um, or if there is an actual fire or if the wiring sometimes gets faulty. Um, so those are all the reasons that your alarm can go off. All that you hear is an alarm. And all the, the goal of that alarm is do, to do, all the goal of that alarm is, is to alert you that something could be wrong, could be. Pain works in a very similar way in that if you feel it, it's just your body trying to communicate with you that something could be wrong. We don't know if something's actually wrong, if your brain's perceiving something is wrong and it's not really that bad, or if maybe something is starting to become wrong and you still have an opportunity to do something or if it's severely damaged. So the amount of pain we're in does not correlate with how significant of damage we have in our bodies. Um, and we know this especially because people can have a lot of what we would normally um, describe as the reason for their pain, like injuries or damage in their joints and not have any pain. So we've taken people, we've MRI'd and x-rayed them. We've taken them through images. They will have things like rotator cuff tears, like labral tears, like meniscus tears, um, bone on bone or arthritis or lack of cartilage or what else? Oh, bulging discs, herniated discs. They have had zero pain, no injuries, didn't know these existed. They just happened to be people who are MRI'd for a study. There are also people who have um, a lot of pain and they are MRI'd and there's nothing that shows up on the MRI. So we know that it doesn't correlate. And so what I try to explain to people is just to, to not be afraid of your pain because the more that we are fearful, the more that we are telling our brain, hey, like this is scary. And the definition of pain is a perception of threat. So that's how we define it in like the science world. It's your brain thinking something's wrong, right? Go back to that alarm. So if your brain is taking the information it's getting from your body and interpreting it as something dangerous, your fear is going to really facilitate that danger signal that's going to upregulate it and make it more sensitive. This is why things like stress also really significantly affect your pain. So if you're somebody who is like, having a flare up, my first question is always, what is your stress and like sleep been like lately? Or have you done something like a lot of something out of nowhere? Because that's also a common thing, but those in some image, I got to figure out what's wrong. Maybe think what has gone on in my life and what is my body trying to tell me? And that's where I like to kind of help communicate that and, and help patients and clients to see that because Pain can be something severe. Like, I don't want to throw that under the bus and say, like, just ignore your pain. It's fine. Push through things. Because 
Sometimes pain is cancer. Sometimes pain is something really going on. Very rarely is it, and you will have other symptoms. And that is where a clinician comes in to really rule out those red flags and help you. Um, but most of the time, it's just your body trying to say, hey, take a look at what's going on and let's see it, what is contributing to this perception of threat in your body. Not necessarily that something is damaged, but maybe you're just more stressed and upregulated is how I like to exploit it. So that is kind of like how I like to communicate it and how I recommend we communicate things. Like it's worth paying attention, but not worth panicking about. Those are not the same thing. And I like to live in between those two things. Absolutely. So for those of you that may have got lost in the words, which I can be one of those people. So let's summarize it. Um, kind of the, the few things that she just said. Number one, did you sleep? Are you sleeping? Sleep is our body's restorative process. If you've not heard this enough on the podcast. You're going to hear it again for the next 500 episodes. Sleep. Number two, uh, did you do something out of ordinary that you haven't done or you did an excessive amount of something? You'll have to help me with number three. Three was stress. Are you Thank experiencing you. <laughs> stress or are you like more concerned or is your life stress kind of higher? Because a lot of people will tell me I'm not stressed, but then I'm like, you realize that we're in a pandemic, your whole life has changed. And like your body and your brain perceive that stress, even if you don't feel stressed and some signs that you may be stressed and not know it are things like your pain's increased. Everything feels really tight and stiff. Um, that is create that sensation is also created by your nervous system and can be a direct indicator that you're stressed. If you feel like you're clenching your jaw or your joints a little bit more, you feel really like tense. If you're jumpy, irritable sounds have become annoying and like you're really sensitive. Those are all things that, um, are signs that you're a little bit more stressed that your body can be picking up and contribute to more pain. Awesome. Thank you. So sleep, stress, something out of the ordinary. So yeah. keep those in mind, folks. Okay. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the kinesthetic stretch piece and how that plays in. And please correct me if I'm saying this wrong and everything. And how kin this works, kin stretch, yeah. excuse me. Yep. And That's how, okay. what it is, how do you use it? And how is it different than traditional flexibility and mobility activities? Because when I first was introduced it, to it from you, I was like, Okay, I'm making this like side eye look, by the way, y'all. Like, what is this? How does this play a part? This is interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, kin stretch is cool. So um, I kin stretch is like the name for the group. Like, I'm trying to think of how to describe this. It's the name for the mobility classes that I do. And so I um, usually tell people it's just mobility training, but for a group. So kin stretch is kind of taking all the principles of mobility training and putting it into a class for a personal practice, which is what I use. So if I talk about kin stretch, I'm just saying mobility training. It's kind of, I use them inter intertwined or intertwined to replace each other. Words are hard in the mornings, so I'm sorry. Um, but they're essentially the same thing. And kin stretch is just, it's a trademark term via FRC, which I don't like fancy names and all of that stuff and acronyms, but FRC has literally changed my life. And I, I, I don't get anything for saying this. I just really appreciate how they teach things and how much they've impacted my life and my clients. So kin stretch essentially is mobility training. It is joint centered training because most training that we do is patterned and it's like more superficial. So we're looking at normal strength training is like, you're pressing and you're squatting and you're deadlifting 
And those are more like muscle oriented and that's totally fine. But I like to think of that as more like external and patterned. When we think of joint training, I'm looking at like movements of your shoulder, of your neck that start at the, the legit joint of like your shoulder, the ball and socket joint. And the reason that we do this is because there's nothing else that does that right now, really. And because this is like how we make sure that you are taking care of your joints so you can do the things you love to do with your body. That is everything from just like playing with your kids to sprinting across the field with your dog to continuing to spring to the whatever you want to do with your body can stretch and mobility training is essentially going to help you give you the freedom to do it and help you maintain the capacity to do it. Cause we know as we age our health declines, right? Like we know that everybody probably knows that on here. That's why everybody is so like, yeah, I'm going to go work on my health because I know that if I don't, my health will decline. We lose our strength. Um, as we age, we lose range of motion. We get stiffer. We lose our bone density, especially as women, so all of that happens unless we are doing something to mitigate it and slow it down. And then it becomes like not negligible. It'll still happen, but it's, it flies under the radar pretty much. You don't notice it as much. So when it comes to our joints and our range of motion and, and like our actual joint health, the same thing is true, but you have to be doing something specific for your joints to maintain them. If you're going in a full depth squat, that's amazing, but you're still not getting your hip in full abduction and internal rotation, which is bringing your leg out and then rotating it in. Um, and you're not getting that part of your joint loaded and you're not maintaining that range of motion. You want to maintain all of your ranges of motion and you want to load all parts of your joint. So all of them stay healthy because if we don't, our brain gets rid of ranges of motion. It's like, you don't need it. You haven't been there for a while. So essentially that's kind of what can stretch is. That's what it does. It follows a lot of the rules or the, the principles of strength training but from a joint centered perspective. And that is what I see missing a lot. And that is like what I kind of do with Kinstretch. And that's like essentially the premise behind it, right? So there's a lot of different ways that we approach it, but it all starts with an assessment and knowing where your shoulder is and looking at the difference between passive and active range of motion, which passive is like gravity pulling me into a position or me pulling myself into a position active is me using the muscles at of that joint to move myself into a position and looking at those and then using the principles that we know of how to load how to improve them and working on addressing our deficits essentially gotcha could you just give a brief example of what it would look like um just for somebody that's trying to like picture this in their mind could you paint a picture yeah. So, um, like if you were to look at a class, I'll kind of go like what a class looks like normally. Um, we always start with cars, which I will explain those because those are something I talk about a lot and I love cars stands for controlled articular rotations, um, controlled because we're going really slow. And when we're working on our shoulder, we're making sure it's the shoulder moving and not our spine or our neck articular because that's just a fancy name for a joint. It's where two bones articulate or come together. That is what a joint is. And then rotation, because that is actually the most important component for all of our joints, except our spine. Our spine actually likes flexion and extension first, but all of the other ones, we need to really prioritize rotation. So essentially cars are, they look like joint circles and they are the like daily movement practice that we need to keep our joints healthy. So think of this as like the brushing and flossing of your teeth for your joints. So we know we need to like brush our teeth to keep them healthy, to mitigate issues in our mouths, 
for the dentist that we go see a couple times a year, CARS is essentially doing the same thing. It's maintaining your range of motion. It's making sure that your arm goes through every single range of motion that you have. Um, and it's getting some good synovial fluid, which is the stuff in your joint, in and out of the joint to really flush good nutrients in and flush the junk out and keep it healthy. Um, so that's what CARS are. So a kin stretch class will always start with CARS, full body, head to toe. Those are essentially going to take us normally if we're doing them like quickly, less than 10 minutes, by the way. But if you're doing them in a kin stretch, it takes us 20 to 30 because I talk a lot and we go really slow and I do a little bit more um, than your typical daily movement. Then from there, we will, I will normally try to pick a couple body parts to work on, um, just things that I know people need to work on. And that will sometimes look like starting with a stretch. So I almost always work on hips and, and, and shoulders because they're really important. And so sometimes we'll start with a stretch, but we'll always start with rotation because we need to have good rotation. And we'll add some like what I call pales rails, which are really just isometric contractions to get better connection to tissues in that position and to work on getting more range of motion. Because if you're just passively stretching, that doesn't translate into active, active like control of that range of motion. It's just passive. And then you can't really use that in your normal activities. Um, so we want to make sure we always have active components. Sometimes we'll do things that I call kinetic stretches, which is like using the muscle to like lengthen and like pull yourself to a stretch feels amazing. is really fun and actually miserable. If you really ask people, it sucks a lot, but it feels so good afterwards. And then we'll do some things like end range control, where I'll have you go into positions and try to own your little ranges of motion. So it's like going into a position that you don't normally go into and then training one movement. And I'll be like, okay, here, I want you to lift your arm just a little bit. And I'll give a lot of coaching cues and I'll give a lot of modifications in the class, but just a little bit, contract that muscle, this is what we're working on. And like, you're just lifting your leg or your arm and it feels like the world is ending. Like it is impossible. And you're like, why is this so hard? That is a lot of what kin stretch is and slowly we'll work on those things. And that's essentially what a class is. And then I always end in breathing to kind of downregulate you and bring you back to a more parasympathetic state. So a lot of that is like the principles and it's not as driven by an assessment only because it is a group training. Um, so that's what like a group class would look like. And that's what my kin stretch membership classes are. Um, but if you're doing this individually, it will be way more specific to what I see. So if I know you're limited in passive range of motion, we're going to start with a stretch. You're going to do a lot of that. If I know you're limited in active range of motion, it's going to look like getting into those positions and trying to contract a muscle without it seizing up. Cause a lot of times we go into like a lot of cramping. So that's kind of what it looks like. And it is hard to like explain without you trying it. Um, and so I have been working to get more videos that I can share on my feed so people can kind of see what it looks like because it's hard to like wrap your mind around until you've seen it um, or tried it yourself. But I do have a class that you can try for free so people can get an idea of what it is. It is, it's hard and it's amazing. And when you do it consistently, you start to really notice things like if you're a like really consistent lifter, you'll start to feel things like, oh, my hips feel like butter <laughs> all of a sudden, like this is amazing, but it's only like mobility work is like millimeters of progress at a time. It is so slow, but there are a few things that are worth your, worth the ROI 
more than working on your joints, because tell me what is more important than having a joint that works besides being able to breathe and, and the normal human things. Like I, I don't know, strength is second to joint health, I think, in my opinion, but I'm biased, of course. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we'll have that linked in the podcast description for you guys to take advantage of that. And I look at like that part of like mobility and strength progression as like compound interest you have in your bank account, because if you keep doing it and you do it consistently, it, it seems like you're never getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, did y'all see what I just did? I can do this. <laughs> so it pays off in the long run. I, I'm definitely an example of this and I will be participating a little bit more because your girls got to do some work, but we are toward the final part of the podcast here. Is there any other topics you want to share with the audience that are on your heart that you want to make sure that you leave this podcast with? That is a very good question. Um, I, I love what you said about the like piggy bank thing. Cause that's what I always say. And I think that, um, a lot of health is that piggy bank thing. And I think what we don't realize is we're taking from the piggy bank, just doing a lot of the things we do. So the reason it's so important to constantly put things into it is not just so that you can use it later, but like you're using it as you kind of live your life. And there are things that we do that we're like, maybe that wasn't the best thing to do, but whatever, you know, like you can get away with more if you have a bigger piggy bank that you're working on. So mobility work is literally like the definition of putting coins in the piggy bank and just being like, I really hope this is doing something. It almost always does. I have not been, I have not worked with somebody who has not gotten better when they've been consistent. So that consistency thing is important, but I can't promise it always will, but so far in my experience it has. Um, so that's like something that I think is just important to remember. And the only other thing that I will say is when it comes to mobility training, a lot of people kind of think of mobility as like flows and random exercises they find on Instagram and they go into the Instagram graveyard is what I call it. And those exercises might be okay. But when it comes to mobility training, we really need the parts. So like each individual joint to work by itself and mobility training is really mostly that what you normally see in mobility flows is an expression of good joint mobility. It is like people taking what they are having together. Like I think I explained this on uh, my story the other day, but like a caustic squat, lots of joints involved there. You're going to be limited by all of those joints. When you want to really work on mobility training, you have to get really specific with your shoulder and what's going on and restoring like at the joint level first. Um, if you don't know what that means, I'm working to kind of portray this information on my social media. It will get there eventually, but keep that in mind because you will see much more results when you work and do the boring stuff in one joint at a time than if you try a bunch of different mobility flows because flows are just movement, not necessarily mobility training. Awesome. Thank you for making that more clear because I think sometimes we mix things up for sure. How can the listener connect with you or work with you? So I um, live a lot on Instagram mostly. Um, so you can come follow me at Jen Hostler. I share a lot in my stories of my training. I'm not as good about sharing it on my feed because I honestly am just not that great at videoing myself. And it's kind of hard where I'm at right now. So 
that is the best way to find me. I try to share a lot on my social media too. That's like good information. Um, our clinic is called Movement Upgraded and we have like an online business that we share a lot of our exercises and mobility info on that account at Movement Upgraded on Instagram. That is a play great place to go. And then our YouTube actually has a ton of exercises because all the exercises I give to my patients and clients, I have filmed almost all of them or I try to film them because I'm very specific in my instructions. So those are all on YouTube. So you might not know which one is good for you, but if you know about your body and what you need to work on, you might find that on there. I think a lot of my strength training exercises for my strength training program, Simply Strong, are on there as well. So we're working to make that a very big, helpful resource to people for movement. So if you are big into YouTube or want to learn about movement, it's probably good to subscribe to that. And those are the those are probably the best places to find me. If you're interested in mobility training, you want to see what this kid and stretch thing is about. Movementupgraded.com has all the information you need. So it's linked in my bio. It's linked in Movement Upgraded bio on Instagram. And the free class is there too. So if you're kind of interested in that, check it out. I always am open in my DMs. So if you have questions about it, please feel free to message me. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one consults and mobility programming for people. I don't take a ton of clients because I'm also still working in person. But if that's something you're interested in, you're like, nobody is around me that does this please message me. I will either try to find somebody close to you or I will like be able to work with you and I can chat with you. So those are all of the ways I think to work with me. <laughs> Perfect. We will have all of those linked in the podcast description so you can go back through and do all the things. Are you ready for the speed questions? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Surprise. Here we go. <laughs> what is your favorite app? Probably. I mean, probably Instagram honestly, because I'm on it all the time. I don't know. I have a hate love relationship with it, but I'll just say Instagram because I learn a lot on it too. Perfect. What is your favorite book? Good question. I think I'll go with most impactful. So the most impactful book for me based on like where I was in my life is probably how to win friends and influence people, which taught me how to like be a better human than what I was. Um, so most impactful is probably my favorite just because I like to be better, I guess, as a human. Love Mr. Carnegie. He's awesome. Favorite yes. exercise? Um, cars. <laughs> Does that count? Yes, um, we will take like that. <laughs> the versatility of them is amazing because they can become a strength training session if you really want them. So we're going to go with cars because I'm a nerd, a movement nerd. So there you go. Yes, let's go. Hashtag movement <laughs> nerds. You better tag us in that screenshot of this podcast with that for sure, y'all. Now, do you have a question for me? I would. That's a, that is awesome that you asked that, actually. Let me think for one second. What do you wish you saw more when you worked in with people in rehab, like from clinicians? Um, I think the biggest thing, and I briefly talked about this, is that there's several clinicians that I've worked with and I, I still do have some working relationships with that um, it's almost like they have this I'm better than you kind of mentality and almost like ego. Um, and I just really wish that they would take it from like, I have a specialty just like you do and took it in that perspective of like the working relationship, because um, I think if we acknowledge that we all had a specialty and nobody's better than the other because of how many years they were in school, 
Um, like I, I do think we should respect that. Let, let me make that very clear. I think we should respect that and that time and that effort and everything else. But I do think that just as much as schooling is important, there's experience and understanding and um, that go along with that as well. So I just really wish that there was more of a, a mutual respect in both directions. I think both halves of the equation can do better. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. So I had a feeling that was going to be your answer, but I still wanted to hear it anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think it's important to see where the line in the sand is always. <laughs> yeah. And I just think I wish more people would be more about other people. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Check your ego at the door and always think about if my, what is the best thing for me and for my client? Um, and if you always come with that, even if things go awry, you know that you have the best intentions. Um, and also you have to do that for yourself too, because sometimes we let our ego get in the way of us being able to get the care that we need. Um, because, oh, I don't want to call a counselor or, oh, I don't want to get a personal trainer because I wasn't able to like motivate myself to do it on my own or gosh, I still have to go back to therapy and get work on this body. It's still not fixed after so many months yet. My friend was able to rehab in like three. It's like, you've got to check your ego at the door because your ego is going to get your butt hurt more financially, mentally, physically, spiritually, all the realms than it will. If you just go, you know, yes, I have an ego, but yes, I value more that I resolve this issue than not. Yeah. I think asking for help is kind of one of those things that is not, um, I don't know, not accepted or just not promoted in our society either. And I just think that like, everybody thinks they're supposed to do it themselves. And then we have a big DIY, like that is like our culture right now. And I like to facilitate that if, if we can, but also just to know that you're not going to know everything. You're not going to be a specialist at everything. And like, it's okay to not know everything. I don't even know everything. Like people walk in the door and I'm working with them and I'm like, here's what I know. And we can work on this, but like, I'm very, I'm very blunt because I'm a type eight anyways, but like, I tell them like, I don't know exactly what's happening in your body, but this is what I do know. And I will work with you to figure this out or I will find somebody who can. But I think that too many people are afraid to say they don't know. And I'm just like, you don't like no human is going to know that much. And I think one of the, the like overconfidence thing kind of bothers me. Like I'm confident about what I know, but like that's, it's limited. It's always limited. I'm always trying to learn more. So I wish more people would be comfortable with saying they don't know and things like that. So, or asking for help too, cause you're not going to know everything. I have to ask for help all, all the time. So Same. it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then we have to be okay with that person not being able to do everything for us. Um, so something, a line in the same that I draw, draw is I don't do nutrition. I can do not get me wrong. I know I'm smart enough to figure it out, but why, when I spent all those years in school to be a biomechanist, to be able to help you move your body better, to be able to understand how your bones sit in your, your skeleton. So that way I can see exactly how you move well and then train athletes for years. I, I didn't go to school to be a nutritionist. I know the basics enough to know that you're going awry or not. And you can't be mad when I say, you know, I can't do that. I need to refer you out. Yeah. And I, I, that's something that I, I wish people would be more understanding that somebody it's okay for somebody not to be everything to you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that expectation actually ends up creating coaches who feel like not enough for their clients because it's amazing first and foremost that people trust another human with a lot of things. Like, I think that's good. And I think 
sometimes it comes from like a, people aren't, they don't want to have to find another relationship with another person and invest trust. That's a vulnerability and that's hard. And I totally understand that. But like, I'm the same way I will do. I actually do a lot of, not a lot. Like I don't do nutrition, but I give a lot of nutrition education in my office only because I point people to resources because that is such a problem. But I don't give like, I definitely don't do meal plans and I don't give people anything other than here's resources to find it. Um, but like, I don't, if you have, if you want like more detailed stuff like that, I refer out for nutrition. I refer out for a lot of things in physical therapy, actually, that I don't like doing. Like if you have an inner ear problem where you have like dizziness or, um, vestibular issues, or you have concussion and tracking issues with your eyes, which are actually things physical therapists do. I hated that stuff in PT school. I want nothing to do with it. And I'm not bad at it because I don't learn it. I will work for that. And my... I'm very, very clear about that, but I think, um, I think you're right. I think we as humans who are consuming or being the client or the patient need to understand that like your doctor is not going to know everything about nutrition or about exercise and you can't expect them to. Their goal is to actually just make sure that you um, don't need medication like, and they should be referring out. And it's not fair for you to expect a physician to know all of that. It's not fair for you to expect a trainer to be a one-stop rehab expert, massage therapist, stretcher, and fitness trainer. Like that's not fair to them to expect them to be all those things. So I think it's, I think both parties could do a little bit better at, at making sure that we are comfortable saying, I don't know. And other people are comfortable with saying, um, okay, so you're not the person for this. Let me go find another person. Or do you recommend anybody? Things like that. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Such a good conversation. Are you ready for the last and final question of the podcast? Sure. Let's have at it. (laughs) How would you tell the listener to be unapologetically themselves? That is a good question. You know, I think it really starts with getting to know yourself because you can't be unapologetically yourself. You don't know who you are. And I think most people are so uncomfortable with trying to figure out who they are. They don't have any idea. I went through this like identity crisis when I was younger in the whole like fitness world, actually, because I, like I said, kind of got out of sports and sports was like my way of being active and started getting into fitness. And I would, you know, use like cosmopolitan magazine workouts or like Pinterest or Beachbody. And everybody I saw in the fitness industry was just like the same type of body. Like the representation in fitness is just thin, like white people who are jacked and ripped and just like whatever. And I was like, okay, so I guess I need to like go on this like journey towards being that person because everything I looked at was like that. And I like, wasn't consistent. Nothing like worked. I don't have a body type like that. I don't have a torso, like none, I would never look like that. So I went down like a really hard time of never being consistent with fitness. And then I realized like, I don't really care to have a six pack to look jacked. I probably will never look like that anyways. And if I do, it will probably be at a cost to my health, my mental health and other things. Like women aren't meant to be super low percent body fat that will actually cause problems with your period, which is reproduction, which means something's really wrong. So I had to realize that like, that's not what I'm interested in. I want to just be healthy. And I had to kind of redefine what that means for me. And I had to kind of really unpack like, okay, wait, who is Jen? What is Jen one? And what am I interested in? And I think women specifically are, are just shoved so much in our faces about what we should want. And 
we are taught to be like people pleasers. So we're taught to do things that other people want us to do, to kind of be quiet, to make other people feel comfortable around us. And I think that if you can let that go and start to like really work on like, what things do I like? Like as simple as like, what sounds interesting to me? You don't have to know your passion or like know who you are right away. Cause you're not going to figure that out. I'm still working to figure that out. Everybody is for the rest of our lives. But like, just start to question like what you actually want. I think that you cannot be unapologetically you if you know, like if you don't know and don't check in with who you are. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. That was just so dope. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you (laughs) enjoyed this podcast, please take a screenshot of it and, and upload it to Instagram on your stories and tag both me and Jen and telling us your biggest takeaway and also hit those little share buttons at the top, send it to a friend via text and, or preferably, and leave a review and let us know how the podcast is doing. So we have more beautiful people listening to the podcast. So thank you so much. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Dudes and dudettes. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I love that you came and spent some time with us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast get found and provides us with feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at BeUnApologeticallyYouRadio and follow Kelsey at KelseyLaneFitness. While on Instagram, please take a screenshot of this episode and upload it to your stories and let us know what your biggest takeaway is, or you can also share it on Facebook. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast, and remember, don't forget to be unapologetically you. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.